Bhavantu Sabha Mangalam Rakantu Sabha Devata Sabha Buddha Nubhavena Sadasoti Bhavantu Te Bhavantu Sabha Mangalam Rakantu Sabha Devata Sabha Dhamma Nubhavena Sadasoti Bhavantu Te Bhavantu Sabha Mangalam Rakantu Sabha Devata Sabha Sangha Nubhavena Sadasoti Bhavantu Te That was a blessing, ancient chant. It is a blessing that we come and sit together in the silence and we share on a level that most human beings are not familiar with. The world is seldom silent and you may experience this when you're with people and there's no talking, what, what happens? If you sit together having a cup of tea and no one says anything, do you feel uncomfortable? There's a, unless you're with good friends, one good friend or family member, but we always fill in the spaces we're always trying to fill in the spaces with our egos, with ourselves, with our stories, with our wanting, with our discomfort, to make it okay, to make it feel right, to make it comfortable or convenient. But the real comfort, the real refuge, is best understood, is best discovered. When the ego is not flapping around to establish itself yet again. To be with the silence doesn't mean that your mind is silent. But at least the intention is towards silence. And then we observe and we watch what comes up. A lot of noise? Is it busy in there? We may find that the mind is more busy or it feels like it's more busy when we're quiet than when we're moving around. Anyone experience that? Anyone not experience that? And that's nature, that's the conditioned mind, that's how it works. It runs, it functions. Where does all this energy come from? 
recently we moved to the Perth area to a property which has become now a monastery for women in monastic training and it's a a Dhamma place it's a, a refuge, a place away from the world with a beautiful forest and an 1870-built farmhouse, very old and somewhat needing of attention. So even though we have the peace of the country, we have the problems of the world on our doorstep, which is how do we get this old house to be a refuge from the cold in the winter? and so many other problems, plumbing, septic tank, you name it. Suddenly, the mind gets busy with worldly things, even though our intention, our aspiration is towards the silence, still we have to live in the world and make this place physically doable so that we can have the appropriate conditions to cultivate inner silence. But if we think that working towards silence means having perfect conditions where there's no disturbance, no annoying problems to deal with, like fixing up an 1870 vintage house, then we're mistaken. The practice is not done only in perfect conditions. In fact, these kinds of situations where the fans go at a light, almost inaudible level and everyone sits absolutely still as much as they can and no one talks so that we can be silent, these kinds of conditions are only like a little hothouse where the plants get ready before they get shunted out into the world, into the real soil where they have to grow their true roots. So it's in the midst of the, the problems and the, the operational challenges of daily life that we really find out if we have the Dhamma wings, if we can fly with our practice, if we understand the meaning of virtue, concentration and wisdom if we understand how to pull compassion out of an angry moment, if we understand how to make peace with a hostile person, or salvage um, interpersonal conflict by practicing greater patience, tolerance, acceptance, understanding, forgiveness, and letting go the blaming mind. It's in the everyday nitty-gritty of painting, pulling up decrepit carpets, weeding, preparing the path into the forest, washing laundry. What is it, the old saying? Chopping wood, drawing water before enlightenment. Chopping wood, drawing water after enlightenment. So this is what we, we're doing. We're chopping wood and drawing water in many, 
in, it, in the many forms of where worldly kinds of concerns, because we live in the world, take us. And what is our relationship with those concerns? What is our skill in dealing with the, the tiredness in the body when you have to paint a ceiling that has many, many grooves in it. You have to stand in this position on top of a ladder and you're almost 60 years old. Your body's not very strong and it aches from head to toe and you've only done a quarter of the room. You've been on the ladder for two hours, still three quarters left and the whole house needs painting and it feels daunting. What what skill do we have in our Dhamma toolkit to help us get through those kind of moments? It's a good test. So with the challenges of starting and establishing a women's community, a women's Dhamma community, what challenges come up? This is a wonderful place for practice. I invite you all to come and visit us and pick up a paintbrush if you want. Get up on the ladder, the ladder of experience into those nitty-gritty moments where it's not sitting under a fan just watching your breath, but it's being with the, the weakness, the tiredness, the exhaustion, the frustration, the lack of control of who's coming through the door and what kind of jobs people do with the tasks you give them. They might be the worst painters, but they come with good hearts to help. Then one tries to practice gratitude. Today we had a very interesting experience. We found out that we're eligible for rebates from the government if we do certain upgrades like install appliances that are more energy efficient that can conserve so that the amount of power that we're using to heat the place is very efficient or if you have a, a loo that doesn't use too much water if we insulate properly then the government will support these kind of changes that we make so we had an energy audit. This very nice man came this morning and he went through the house with different tools and equipment to measure where it leaks, what the energy leaks of the house are. So you can imagine this house is 140 years old. So it was very fascinating. Four hours he spent with us he found that the Hermitage main house leaks 10 times more than an energy efficient house, five times more than a more modern house that's not too energy efficient. And how do we plug up these leaks? Replacing the furnace, which is 30 years old, and he was drilling holes into the wall and finding out that it's a log cabin covered with siding, so you can't see how decrepit the filling is between the logs, but we have a sense that it's not in great shape. And of course, he discovered that there are big gaps 
I thought this was a wonderful analogy for us in our practice to do an energy audit. So when you sit down to meditate, imagine that you, this is, this is our house, this body, mind, and when you're sitting and watching your breath, just notice how many ways your attention leaks out through all the five sense doors and through the mind. And how many times in a sitting our attention is leaking out into worldly concerns, into memories and expectations, into the past and the future planning and thinking about all the things that we did do or didn't do, want to do or don't want to do, things facing us or places we'd like to be and go and see, people we want to meet or avoid or talk to, conversations that we're reviewing, or just the little chattering, nattering editorial that keeps describing, discussing, analyzing how great we are or how lousy we feel, how good it all is or it's not good enough. The energy audit. Now, who's the auditor? Well, the auditor is the witnessing mind that is supposed to be observing the object and being attentive to the experience and the way the mind runs from the object, wanders from it, escapes, and tries to find something else to chew on besides this impenetrable wall of silence that can be very frightening because it's unknown and we shy away from that silence. We rush back to the busyness of the mind because it's comforting. Just like the air currents of this ancient house rush around through any little crack or crevice that they can escape out of to the air outside. That's what we're always trying to do when we're inside. It's as if we're trapped and we have to get out of our body or get out of our mind. We can't sit, we can't find that peaceful place within us where there is no current, where there is no frenetic movement anymore, where the energy comes to its own point, its axis mundi, the intersection of time with timeless, where it can be totally at peace and still. Of course, we have to use energy to let the mind work its way into this stillness. That means we have to sit, we have to apply an energy in the body, sitting still and focusing ourselves inward instead of outward, drawing the five sense doors closed, just like now we have these instructions and guidelines how we can seal up and caulk the leaks in the house. We're going to be very busier than we were before. Forget about the paintbrushes. Even where you have this air escaping out the electrical outlets, even when they're covered, there's a lot of air going out these 
light switches. So we have to find the insulation around the light fixtures. How many ways that our attention can leak out, subtle ways, even if we hold the body absolutely still, suddenly we find ourselves booking a ticket to India while we're sitting in the meditation hall or some other exotic destination. Then you have to reel the mind back in and insulate ourselves from worldly experience so that we can really be alive in the present moment to bring our consciousness to attention, attend, feel the body, be with the breath. Let yourself sit in the cave of your heart and feel your heart beat one beat at a time. Not gasping and struggling to get out of this moment because the truth is not anywhere else but here. So all our energy must focus within and we must continuously capture it and protect the mind from escaping out in the gentlest way possible. Not aggressively, but with compassion. Our habit is to run. And our aspiration is to stay, to be, to be present, and to drink from the truth of this presence. We can only do that if we can learn to be still and to abide inside that ancient house which is not caught in time or in ego, restructuring, identifying with and getting lost in the world that the ego builds for us that is so captivating and so seductive we never seem to be able to free ourselves from it. But we can. Rightly using our energy and focusing inward, one-pointed, not with many points, but driving all desire into one place, the desire to free ourselves from desire, to release ourselves from selfishness, to be absolutely patient. It's the kind of patience of a hospital patient. That's why it's called patient. You have to be so motionless, unable to move in terms of the world that we go nowhere else. But here, here is where it is. How many messages do we give ourselves or does our culture, our civilization give us? The world tells us that happiness is out there in movement and action, in getting and having. But what we get is never ours. We have it for a little while and then it's gone. And if it doesn't leave us, we leave it because we cannot even keep the body, though we fool ourselves into thinking we will. Let us not be fools anymore. Having understood that the silence is the safest home, the sweetest 
taste. The most liberating experience. Then let us drink that silence and not stray from our true refuge any longer. Then we each become an energy auditor. And we audit ourselves, just like the Buddha taught us to be our own physician. We use the Buddha as our physician. But it's not as if we have a person that can do this for us. We can only do it for ourselves. It's a DIY project. We have to be our own doctor, literally. We have to stop the mind from believing that happiness is anywhere else but here. And then once we discover that, to develop it, we discover a little bit, to develop it, to cultivate it, to grow it, to be the gardener, the energy auditor, whatever you want to call it. To grow it, and that's the practice not in special conditions, but take it out into the worst storm and crisis of life and practice there. Practice there and see. And then come back again to the quiet shrine of your home, wherever you live, and investigate how was it today. Review before you go to sleep at night, when you wake up in the morning in those silent moments when you're just with yourself, investigate, how am I living my life? How am I bringing this Dhamma into my life, this truth? How am I healing myself and preventing myself from diffusing my energy in unskillful ways, wasting away my life in toxic pursuits rather than keeping myself whole, conscious, in harmony with truth, and growing in awareness and joy and love.